0: Good morning, and welcome back to e commerce experts. I cannot believe what a journey we're on. Thank you to everyone who has subscribed, liked, commented so far. Keep it coming. Would love to hear who you would like on as an episode. Guest next. Um, and yeah, just thank you so much for all of your support. Today, we have an interesting one. We have the company called FFS. And I know what you're all thinking, but it doesn't stand for that. Friction-free shaving. Think Dollar Shave Club for women. So it's a very different business to the ones we've had on recently, which are very much omni-channel and e-commerce ancillary. This is solely pure play. Interesting company. Liz also comes at it from a very different perspective. She's an accountant. And so I think her insights into how they measure the marketing spend, how they measure television advertising spend is really, really interesting. I'm sure you guys will enjoy this one as much as I did. So without further ado, here she is. Thank you ever so much for joining us today. It's an absolute honour. And as I just jested with you offline, I've been coming up with all types of acronyms for FFS ever since I've heard of it. So yeah, thank you ever so much for joining us. FFS, (laughs) what does it stand for really?
1: Well, we all know what FFS can stand for. And in its quirky, cheeky way, that is why it was created as the initial brand name. It represents the frustration that you can get from shaving. So, for example, you go in the shower, you go to shave, ah, it's rusty, it's blunt, so what do you say? Or you want to go out with the girls on a night out, you want to wear a nice dress, you go to shave, again, you you haven't got any blades. So, it's a play on that, really. It's a play on the frustration in relation to um, buying shaving products or just not having them conveniently in your house when you need them, the expense of female shaving products. So it's, it it, it encompasses many different things, but we love it because we can use the acronym to play on for our marketing, as as you've mentioned. And that gives us quite a scope when we're we're doing marketing activities, gives us a bit of fun in the office as well. We love the FFS acronym. Some people may be offended by it, don't like it. We still get comments on our social media going, do you guys know what this means? (laughs) we, We do. It was sort of on purpose and,
0: you know, people will remember us for it as well. When I first looked at it, Friction-Free Shaving was the first thing that came up. Is that your official, unofficial title or do you consider yourself FFS? We
1: now consider ourselves FFS. We did initially launch as Friction-Free Shaving, but last year we rebranded and renamed the company so it is FFS Beauty. So FFS now does mean various different things.
0: Oh, that's brilliant. And so subscription shaving as a whole, as a marketplace, really became prominent with the Dollar Shave Club and and the businesses around that. Have you jumped on the back of that success? What's the story behind FFS as a differentiation to those in the market already?
1: When FFS was created back in 2015 by the founders, it was off the back of the men having a subscription service available to them. So we had the Dollar Shave Club and we had Cornerstone in the UK. And they were together and they realized that, you know, no one's doing this for the women. And they spoke to their wives and, and talked to them about like, their frustration of shaving. And, and it, it just seemed an obvious thing to do. Why have these big companies forgot women? So one of them had a very strong background in um, the postal mailing industry. So it just made sense to, to get together and create a subscription company for, but solely for women. And at the time, we were the first doing that.
0: Why do you think it is that so many industries forget women? <laughs> because shaving's not the only one, is it? Every industry you think of, women are always the second thoughts. Maybe it's because a lot of
1: companies grew off the back of um, men first, especially the, the shaving industry. The men's blades have been known to be more superior than women's blades. And maybe they feel that men are in an easy market as well, especially in shaving, because Pre-COVID, men would go to the office and shave. So it's it's more of a regular thing that they would definitely do. So maybe it's just the easy play, the easy market.
0: I definitely think it's got to be something similar to that because the only industries that are necessarily female first, you could argue, would be fashion or beauty. And that feels horrendously stereotypical. They're the ones where you do have brands thinking about women first, before men so I'm, I'm glad you've caught on shaving and I'm glad you guys have managed to make it a success because so many brands do try to do it and unfortunately it, it doesn't quite play out whether that's because women are more likely to go to a shop and buy it rather than online who knows what do you think has been key to the rapid growth of FFS?
1: Being first to market always helps obviously yeah. You're there, you're you're first. There's no alternatives. People may have seen the men's alternatives and go, well, actually, no, I want the women's brands. It's cheaper advertising because you're first, you've got less competition. But we're also quite agile. As a startup small company, you can change quickly. So you can see what your consumers are doing. You can see what their needs are and change to them. So the whole rose gold razor, which has been so successful for us, and it's been a key iconic razor, That came out of, in a way, a mistake. So when the first set of razors were purchased, they asked for yellow gold. But what was delivered was rose gold. They were like, well, let's put these out anyway. We've got the stock. Let's see what happens. And they loved it because there was nothing like that on the market. Rose gold was starting to becoming fashion. You definitely couldn't get a razor that you could um, engrave and that was metal. They just didn't have that. So. off the back of that, it was decided to design our own razor and it was going to be rose gold plated because, again, it was unique to the market. And and why not have something that's quite special and nice to to shave with? Why does it have to be a cheap, horrible, nasty plastic thing? And that's been part of our success, just being different to what was on the market because it was plastic razors or your other metal safety razors, which a lot of people choose not to use for, for various reasons. So. We were first to the market and quite unique.
0: Absolutely. And now people don't want to be using plastic as much. I know there are so many reusable razors on the market, but they're still all plastic. They're all still that same material. And you're right. I've never really thought about it that much. And the men's ones are always nice and metal and they always look a sight better. It's a classier product. It's just nice.
1: It feels nice in your hand. It feels very different. You we used to very lightweight razors and when you pick one of ours the first thing you notice is the weight but it was designed to fit a hand so it's hopefully a comfortable hold for someone so it's making that experience just feel nicer more luxurious than going in your shower and having your pink plastic thing hanging up and also when you go to replace your razors it, you forget which ones you you picked, so you, you may buy it from your supermarket and you've got an array of these pink plastic things in front of you which one did I buy? Which refill do I need? And you end up buying the whole system again.
0: <laughs> you absolutely do. I don't want to count how many Venuses I've got in my bathroom because I just can never remember which head it is. Exactly. Yeah, that really is a challenge. I I like that you guys have tried to be different and you've tried to stand out from that perspective. It's a good job that obviously part of the founders had experience in mailing because I actually imagine mailing razor blades isn't the easiest thing to do in the world. Have you had any challenges with that? Because is a postal product, we're not in all the time, we're not there to sign for a package. Are there any challenges? This is just, I'm just interested now.
1: Well, what we did, because um, one of the founders had such amazing knowledge of the postal system, everything has been designed around that postal system to ensure that it does go through your letterbox, to ensure that it is posted in the most efficient, easy way. So when the handle was designed, it made sure it fitted into the right box to fit through a letterbox, So it was all thought out from the very concept, and that's made it easier for us and and removed some of those challenges. As we brought in more products such as our three-step process, so the the scrub, the shade cream and the balm, obviously that is too large to fit through most letterboxes. It does fit through some modern letterboxes. So that is a little bit trickier that people may have to go to the post office or be in when when it's delivered. But 90% of our deliveries are, are the blades. And that fits through your letterbox. So our service is meant to be convenient. That's what we're trying to do. You know, people lead busy lives now. They, they don't have to think about having to go to the post office to pick the parcel up or go to the shops to buy the blades. They're there for you. And, and that's what we want to offer.
0: There is nothing worse than the queues at the post office. I think everybody will identify with those, particularly with their on. restricted <laughs> hours. You just—it's oh, just nothing worse. Uh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So you started off as razors. You've obviously now diversified into scrubs and balms as well. Yes. Yeah. Without giving away your secrets, of course. How do you see the brand diversifying further? Because there is a huge, a huge market gap for female. Hygiene products. I'm not talking about your typical sanitary items, which have obviously been covered quite profusely now. But the other side of hygiene, do you see yourselves moving and growing within that market space?
1: That is something we started to do sort of over the, the last 18 months. We have extended our range more. We brought the three step process in because, again, it was something that was available for the men. So you have a better shave if you exfoliate first, because it brings those hairs up, gets rid of the dead skin. When you're shaving, you want a nice quality shave cream so the blades glide over your skin. And then you're going to finish the process off with a moisturizing cream just to, to hold that moisture into your legs and so you don't get horrible dry legs. It's, it's part of the process. So that was a logical step for us to bring that into the shaving regime. Going forward from that, we've brought out a, a natural deodorant. You want to put something on your armpits that's gentle on your skin that doesn't have any nasties in it. So we have developed our own deodorant that is just kinder on the skin and especially after shaving when it, you're potentially more sensitive. And then moving on from there, we've brought out a fake tan. Some ladies, you shave your legs, you want your legs to look their best, especially when you're going out. So you put fake tan on if, if that makes you feel better about yourself. So we're trying to provide that whole experience while also looking at trying to be sustainable as possible and to not have any nasties in there and try and be as natural as possible as well. So that's sort of the ethos of what we, we look at when we're developing our products and what we're going to give our customers. And we're very fortunate. We have a very loyal, large customer base. So we can ask them, what would you like to see from us? We use that sort of market research to help guide us because that's what we're here for. It's, it's our, well, members as we call them. We want to provide them a service that, that they're
0: happy with. That was absolutely what I was going to ask you next. I was going to say, okay, so how do you work out which routes in order you want to go down in order to diversify and you ask your customers, which makes absolute logical sense because if they're already buying from you, they're going to be exceptionally more loyal if you listen to them. We've interviewed a few founders now and those businesses that have done that and really listened even to the criticisms are the ones that seem to be thriving. And when they've gone out for crowdfunding or when they've gone out for investment have found it easier, probably because they've listened to their consumers. Have you guys had to go out for investment? Yes, so
1: they did initially. Back in 2017, they, um, they they went out for investment just to help grow the business to get it to where it needed to be. And that was one reason why I joined the company, because after receiving their, their significant investment, they, they needed just someone more on the on the financial side. So that's how I joined the company, just to bring... Things in order on that
0: side. (laughs) That's a wonderful tie in. So, Liz, you've gone from accountant to starring in FFS television adverts to MD. How does that journey happen? Hard work. (laughs) Um,
1: I've grown with this company. I I joined it four years ago now. It was a startup company. It was a a little bit of a risk when I initially came in, knowing that they're a startup, sort of doing something new. It was really exciting as well. So I, I've grown with the company. I've, I've grown with the founders. and um, I've helped them and assisted them. And I've seen how the, the company has become a success and what are the drivers behind the company becoming the success it is. And from there, it, it just progressed over the years that I joined the board. And then January this year, I, I moved into the managing director role, which is for me an amazing challenge. Um, it's also an honor that the, the founders handed their Business over to me, and, and they have given me that the faith that I can undertake the role as well, and, it, and it's brilliant. I love working here. The change in your career, I wouldn't have expected it if someone had asked me where I would be five years ago. I certainly wouldn't say where I am now. But it, you've given a challenge. You're going to run with it and and learn and, and take it on the best you can.
0: You didn't expect that in your future you were going to be shaving your legs in front of millions of people. I don't understand why not, Liz. When
1: I was training to be accountant, that was definitely not in the remit at all. <laughs> You've got to step out of your comfort zone. You can stay safe for the rest of your life and you you may have regrets, but you've just got to do it. Do it all.
0: (laughs) I have to say my partner's an accountant and I mentioned it too. And it was just, the reaction was hilarious. That's definitely not something normal accountants do, was the response. We're not that boring, really. Actually, television is, we joke about the advert, but television's a big risk and it's a huge investment. What made you guys do it? Because you are such an online focused brand. It's not something you typically see of your everyday e-commerce startup.
1: This was actually our second advert. So we did one back in 2018. And we were one of the first people to show real leg hair being shaved. Mm -hmm. Um, I know you you were shaving a, a clean shaven leg and you've got these beautiful legs. So we did have an advert in 2018 that showed real leg hair being shaved. And it was a real success for the company. It really helped drive the growth. So Covid hit last year, digital advertising became really cheap, pretty easy, really, (laughs) initially. And then this year, more companies have moved on to digital advertising. It's become harder. It's become more unpredictable. So it's just looking at other avenues that could have worked for us or could work for us. So it's a case of looking at the data, looking at what's worked for us in the past and saying, well, do we take the risk and do it again? Because it is a risk doing a TV advert because you've got that upfront cost, you've got that unknown you don't really know what it's going to produce where you invest your money in something like Facebook. You know what you're getting. So yeah, we we took the plunge, decided to to, to go into TV again, give it an, another shot. Facebook, it was our main platform that has made us grow. It has been harder this year um, due to various changes and the fallout from COVID. So yeah, we gave it an, another another go. <laughs> wow. How will you measure the success of it? Brand awareness is Hard to measure, so we obviously used your the general uh, analytical tools that are available to see that the sessions increased um, and our conversion rates and 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 our subscriber numbers. It definitely wasn't the success back from twenty eighteen, but the world's moved on so much. We've changed. We're in such a unpredictable, different space. You can't really draw parallels anymore. No one knows how the market's going to react. TV advertising itself has also changed a lot in the last 12 months. So, yeah, we, we just looked at it at, uh, using Google Analytics just to, to see if our, if our sessions have increased. And there was also other um, analytical tools that we had on our website to see if there were spikes after the TV advert went live.
0: I think it's interesting. A lot of because it isn't trackable. It's not as it's not as easy. You can't get the same level of data from it. I think it's interesting how different brands try to do it. HelloFresh, yeah. I'm sure, is one of the most renowned brands for doing it, and they ask, they mention a voucher code, and try oh. to get you to put the voucher code in to track it. But again, how many people do? How many people don't? And they click a voucher exactly. on the website instead. You can never you can never be a hundred percent sure. But as an accountant, I felt like of all the people in the world to ask, you were going to be the person that gave a genuine answer on it. <laughs> and that leads me perfectly on to one of the questions we had from our community, Jake, the CMO from Piglets, which is a luxury linen and uh, nightwear company, really, really comfortable bedsheets as well. He wondered how you guys are modeling forecasts, whether you're doing channel by channel projections or whether you're assuming a repeat rate and a certain acquisition cost.
1: Well, obviously with my finance background and where I initially started in the company. So when I got here, that's something I did. I I built our financial model because it's really important for a business, especially a a fast-growing business, to understand what are the drivers and the impact of certain metrics change, what impact that's going to have on the business. So I helped create this model and it helped us understand the trends and and where we were going. So we forecast based on um, our digital channels. So it really is, we do go down to quite a, a granular basis to and then we can understand from that where to, to put our budget but also we can look at what the trends have been over the past, past few years in those channels and that helps us forecast going forward. So we we look at um, Google AdWords, we look at Facebook, we look at our affiliates. So we we go down to each level and work out where our spend should be and how many subscribers we feel we're going to get. And and obviously forecasting is not a a science it's necessarily always going (laughs) to bring the predictable results especially with the the likes of world pandemics that just throw everything in the air and you just want to put your delete button and yeah it's it's not always on the mark but it's pretty close and it just gives us a good guide to enable us to continue to grow and be profitable at the same time because that's something that we feel is very important to us that that we are profitable and we're growing on our own money.
0: Okay, is there a particular reason for that? Is it so that you don't you can stay true to the brand or yes. yeah, okay definitely I just it's it's very
1: easy, especially in um the subscription world, to just spend, spend, spend to gain those subscribers and 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 it's not cheap to buy those subscribers initially, and you can lose sight of your bottom line. So it, we are a business built on yes, initial investment but also looking after the, the profit
0: and and making sure we're reinvesting wisely. I think that's very wise. It's, you're definitely led by an accountant. I know that's you, but you can you can just tell by the way you speak it's wonderful. And with that with the growth that you've seen over the past year do you consider that to be repeated? Will you be able to continue at that trajectory for the next year or do you think you have benefited should we say from from the pandemic?
1: The pandemic for us has been um, sort of very split. So initially when we had the first lockdown last year, April, May for us were just, was just amazing. It was, our, our growth was was off the charts because people couldn't go to the shops. You could no longer get your wax. So people were looking for that alternative and nobody had been through a pandemic before. They didn't really know what to expect. And all of a sudden people were at home and like, oh, I'm just going to go and spend. And, and they, they had to go and find an alternative. And there was still that confidence in the market to spend. As I mentioned earlier, the advertising space was was cheap. A lot of people had pulled their advertising and a lot of brands hadn't got their e-commerce up and running. So we were ahead of the curve and trying to keep up with that was a business challenge in itself. So last year was, especially the early part of the lockdown, was amazing growth for us. Then as you moved into winter and November time, you took away a lot of the reasons for ladies to shave. So we are a seasonal business. Um, we, we know that ladies don't always shave as much in winter for various reasons. But the reasons that ladies shave, which is varied, were starting to be taken away. So you, you can't go out with your friends because everywhere was shut and you weren't allowed to go and socialise. You can't go to the gym. You can't go swimming. So that was all shut. You can't go and do your team sports. I was a keen netballer. Couldn't go and do that. And, you know, women do shave for women. It's one of those funny things. You, you go and play netball and I'm, don't look at my legs. I've not shaved. <laughs> you know? like, you're not going to work. You're doing Zoom calls. So no one cares what your armpits are doing and your legs are doing. So you really have taken away those reasons to shave. We ticked along, but there was no growth there. And we looked after the subscribers we got. Then we came into this year from a very long, cold winter. Again, taking away reasons for people to shave. So people tend to stockpile um, and all of a sudden the sun does come out and you're ready to shave and you you do have quite a lot of blades from whatever system you use to use up. So it's been a tougher, harder year. Um, marketing, as I mentioned, has been less predictable, a lot harder. Yeah, this year we've ticked along. We're planning for next year now. Um We're hoping next year will be more normal. Who knows what's going to happen this winter? But we don't think it's the end of our growth. It's a time this year to consolidate um, internally in the business and also just to look at our direction. And then we're going to hit it strong next year. So, no, this isn't the end of our our growth. and It's definitely not the end of our strong growth. There's a lot more we can do with the company. There's a lot more territories and expansion that we can do. So we're still really excited about the future and and where we can go. We're not stopping
0: yet. (laughs) Good. It's great to hear. And I think it's also really important, the faith of other business leaders, that Brexit isn't the end of the world, COVID isn't the end of the world, business will continue, people will still need the majority of services that they needed before, albeit perhaps in different proportions, as you say, you know, maybe people will shave left often. You've been looking after your subscribers, though, and as you say, as your members or or anyone with a subscription business, you really need to retain and work hard to not necessarily retain their loyalty, but in order to keep them interested and keep them engaged in the brand. Long-term value, I assume it's something that you track and measure along with any depreciation isn't the right word. What is the right word for someone? Churn? <laughs> yeah, churn. Let's let's go with churn. Yeah. Uh, churn of customers
1: yeah we do we we monitor our metrics quite closely it it's all pulled through our model that we look at we do keep a close eye on these things and it's very easy for you to lose sight of your metrics or to become obsessed by them so it's it's getting that happy middle ground that you you're making the right decisions for the right reasons but keeping an eye on the data as well
0: i like it so we always end the podcast with the same two questions it's always quite interesting the first one would be excluding ffs who would be your favorite e-commerce brand right now
1: i love the little soap company i mean they're in okay. retail as well i i just love their ethos i love what they've done with the company the way they they've developed their products the way they've developed their company over the year the years so um i i would pick them so they're not solely an, an e-commerce business so maybe i've cheated on that i love their website i just love everything they've done
0: so many businesses are Channel. you the yeah. majority aren't exclusive but it's still interesting to see that if it's a brand that does both how do they manage to capture you online you know what is it i think that's the interest is what is what makes you get drawn to them what's what's the appeal online and by the sounds you've mentioned it you like the products Yeah, I think you're a product-led person based on FFS and how it's grown. It's like we need to get more people into e-commerce so that then they're looking for the right things. Because my first job was at Naked Wines. And so right from the start, I was like, hang on a second, what about the small brands? And all of a sudden, I became interested in the small suppliers. and, And actually, how can we support those? What are they doing? how can we look at putting minimal ingredients in and getting the maximum return without spending a fortune on marketing or paying as a consumer for those marketing costs? I think when you work in it or have a greater understanding of it, all of a sudden, your consumer habits change. Totally, Um, and
1: we're just dedicated to being a sustainable brand, even bringing our handle manufacturer back to the UK because we want to support the British economy. We want to support local businesses. So our handles are made just down the road by a Birmingham company. And that means a lot to us. I and mean, we hold true to our sustainable beliefs. And then that you start looking for that in other companies. And I want to support other up and coming businesses as well, because it is hard. It's hard to break in. It's, it's some big competition out there, especially in the beauty sector. Something that we do for our members is we get in touch with other um, like-minded brands that, that fit our ethos and get together with them and say well we'll introduce them to our members and offer them a bit of a discount to introduce that brand just to, to give that awareness for them it's part of being a community really a small business community to competing against these very big brands with massive marketing budgets that it is hard to compete against so yeah we're there to support British business and benefit our subscribers as well so That is part of now what I look for. I don't want to be buying all my stuff from from China. Anyone can just go on Amazon, have it delivered tomorrow. and don't care where it's come from. I try not to use Amazon too much now as well because I I worry about the companies that are are losing out because everyone's going onto Amazon. In 10 years' time, when you you go on the internet and you can only buy stuff from Amazon, and people will be, where are all those shops gone? Where's it all gone? Like the high streets disappeared. E-commerce could go down the same route if there's just some few big players in there everybody goes to we'll end up really limiting
0: our choice and no one wants that there's nothing worse there's actually nothing worse now when you go online and heaven forbid because of the the very challenging logistic scenarios that everybody's had in this pandemic only having one option (laughs) isn't acceptable still like where's my choice gone well you go to high street now
1: all the shops are shut when was the last time did you go and buy something from the shops to keep that shop open? You know? So, yeah. yes, we all complain about it, but we were part of the problem because convenience. We have busy lives now and it's all about convenience.
0: The one I miss the most is sports shops on the high street because yes. there is now only Sports Direct.
1: You know, if you try and
0: find another one, it's impossible. And I refuse to shop in Sports Direct. I'm
1: I'm a total decathlon girl, so, um, or or online. But they're
0: your only two choices, aren't they, on the high street now? And I think that's really interesting because... Or very expensive niche brands. (laughs) Yeah, but the majority of cities still don't have those. I mean, we're from Cambridge, so, okay, we have a sweaty betty, but that's the extent of it. it, is sweaty betty decathlon or Sports Direct. I'm about to run my first marathon in two weeks, so... um, (gasps)
1: Wow. I, I do like my
0: running gear and I'd love to go to
1: shops and and see it and try it on but you just don't have them option. so yes yeah, decathlon
0: <laughs> and the very last question is if you had one question that you would like the answer to from so well I'll probably ask the next guest on the podcast but if you would like an answer from our e-commerce community what would you like the answer to that is always a, a tricky question
1: I'd say, what is the most important thing to you that means your business is a success? So how oh, do you like know that. your business is a success? What What is it? Is it your customer satisfaction? Is it that having a happy work team? Is it a, a metric figure like your turnover? What What means success to you? Because success means
0: something different to everybody. That's really interesting. So now you've got to answer that, Liz. What's success to you? <laughs> well, for me, I think... FFS is already a success. We broke into the
1: market. We were first to the market. We did something that other people hadn't done. We, we paved the way. And that's a success. What does success look like going forward? For me, it's, yes, the easy ones growing the subscriber base, but it's, it's creating a go-to brand. It's creating a brand that people respect and like. It's not just about selling a product. It's about selling well-being, about making you feel good about yourself. And yes, it's razors or fake tan, but it's actually how does that make somebody feel? And to me, that's a success if we're getting that over and actually making people feel good about themselves.
0: That is wonderful. That's really, a really <laughs> <Thank> nice. Um, and <laughs> Angela, who is the general manager of Rod and Gun, a clothing brand said something that's I think equally endearing. She answered a similar question on the first episode and her answer was we care about how much people are talking about New Zealand because they're a Kiwi brand and she said the more they're talking about New Zealand regardless of whether it's us or or not the better because actually they're promoting their heritage. They're promoting the country that they love and everything they stand for. And so actually yours isn't a million miles away from that. FFS is such a brilliant name. Whenever I look at companies, look at brands we're going to talk to, look at different people in the market, there's always something that stands out. And no one can deny that FFS does not stand out for every reason you've said, for doing everything differently, being just different in the marketplace. And I go on holiday this week. But I'm ordering mine for when I return. Because, Amazing. Um, <laughs> and you won't regret it. It'll be the best shaving experience you've had, I can guarantee. I can't wait. But I have to be controversial and say I'm not opting for rose gold. That wasn't the one that appealed to me. Well, do you know what? I love the chrome ones.
1: I've actually gone off the rose gold. Maybe because <laughs> I've seen it thrust in front of my face for four years. But I love the chrome ones. I, I, I really do. And I actually quite like the coated ones as well.
0: I just think they're quite pretty without being too girly pink. That's me to a T just there. I don't want it too girly. Thank you very much. Well, look, Liz, thank you ever so much for your time and insight. I think particularly those who are data driven will really enjoy this episode because they'll like your answers on the technical stuff. And I think it's been really interesting to get someone who hasn't had a traditional econ backgrounds perspective on the e-commerce market, because that's not something we get a lot. Often people are either digitally native or yeah. bust. Yeah. So thank you. No, thank you for asking me. I've, been, I've enjoyed the chat. Hey, 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 hey.